Hello, friends. Welcome to the Rattling Good Life podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Samantha Rose McRae. Let's get started. Today, I have the pleasure of sharing with you my interview with a friend to many of us in Los Alamos, Senator Leo Jaramillo. Leo is obviously a senator, but today he takes us through the journey from growing up in the Española Valley to where he is today. He opens up about knowing he wanted to be an elected official very early on in his life. He tells us about living in the same home he came home to from the hospital as a newborn, the impact education has had on his life, and the support he received from his family. He tells us how he saw a need and took action to make a difference, listening to the call to grow as an advocate and a leader, and in true Leo fashion, how the people surrounding him have made such an impact and difference in his own life. Today, please help me in welcoming my friend, Senator Leo Jaramillo. So I know that your current milestone in your journey in this life is that you're obviously a senator. Um, for District 5 here in New Mexico, but I really want to begin with the beginning of your story, and I want to start with where you grew up. I understand that you grew up in the Valley, right? Mm -hmm. Española Valley. So can you tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up there? So I'm a 12th generation New Mexican, and uh, I live in the house that my great-grandfather built. So it's an adobe casita in an area of town known as San Pedro, And what San Pedro was back in the day is it served as a farming community to Santa Cruz de la Cañana. Now, Santa Cruz was established by the Spanish to be a buffer colony from the French, who they were afraid would come from the east to the capital. So it was to protect Santa Fe and to protect northern New Mexico. And so those families farmed in San Pedro and then would go across the small little river, the Santa Cruz River, to go to church. They then built a chapel in the area so that they could farm and pray in the same spot. And so that house that was my great-grandfather's is my home today. And believe it or not, that's the home that my parents brought me to uh, after I was born. So I was born in Española Presbyterian Hospital. Uh, My family had moved back from out of state. They had went to, like most northern New Mexicans, to find work elsewhere. And uh, at the time, they were moving back to New Mexico because my mom experienced her first earthquake in Los Angeles, and they decided to move back to New Mexico. My great-grandparents were moving to Denver. So he was a county commissioner, very adventurous, didn't speak much English, but they wanted to experience city life. And so they moved to Denver. My family then purchased my grand- great-grandfather's home. And that's the home I was brought to and the home that I still live in today. Wow. And so I like to tell people that those adobe walls have heard years of prayers and laughter and have heard tears. And that house tells a story of the Jaramillo and Cisneros side of my family. And wow. so it's just amazing to live in a home that has had so much love and has so much memories. So it come from very humble beginnings. My dad was disabled, but still worked as a custodian and as a bus driver. And my mom was a school cook. And so although we were uh, didn't have much, that uh, didn't mean that there wasn't food on the table, right? There was always food on the table, a roof over our head, and an abundance of love. And uh, the Jaramillos taught us that we don't only take care of family, you take care of friends and community. And we were raised to believe that community is more than just community, 
community is family, and you do whatever you can to protect and help your family. In the fourth grade, I had a teacher, uh, Mrs. Angela Maestas, who did a lesson on elections. It was a governor's election year. And we talked about elections, we talked about the role of an elected official, and at that time I was just fascinated in knowing that an elected official could help people. And so I've already told you that Jaramillos were about helping family, and so I thought, you know, I could be an elected official. Now somebody who got uh, gifts from the local community center during Christmas time, and I remember uh, food baskets sometimes coming our way, that I wanted to give back and help. And I told that fourth grade teacher, I'm gonna win an election someday, and I'm gonna help the people in Espanola. And I doodled campaign signs in a notebook, and uh, fast forward all these years later, I then ran for county commission. I coached in the Valley for a long time. I coached cheerleading. I um, cheered at UNM and coached throughout the state. So it was an honor to come back to Espanola and coach my alma mater. During that time of coaching, I figured I could make a change by running for the commission. Uh, I couldn't run for city government because, believe it or not, one street separates me from the city limits. <laughs> so I live in the district while my neighbors across the street live in the city district. So I ran for commission and took on a man who has been in politics since 1972. He had never lost any election he was up for. He served on the school board, he was a municipal judge, um, a county commissioner. His family had a legacy of being um, in politics in northern New Mexico. There's stories of his uncle Emilio Naranjo um, helping to select the next group of candidates who would run and who would be elected. So taking on somebody who had had um, a legacy of being in politics and as a, a servant, um, somebody from my background in poverty just didn't do that, right? Just wasn't in the cards for us. But I took the chance and I ran. And I think those years of coaching students and investing time and energy in the valley paid off because people had seen that, right? Yeah. When I coached, I would ask those kids, what do we do? They would respond with, we break Espanola stereotypes. And I'd say, that's right, heads up, ladies. Um, you're beautiful women who represent this valley with pride, and we're not those stereotypes of who people think we are. We're I love that we break those stereotypes. That's their mantra. Yes. And then I would ask them, so we're not cocky, we're, and they would reply with confident. And that's right, we're not cocky, we're confident. So I think that people saw a shift on how I made people think of who we were collectively. And the change I wanted to see in my community, and I beat the man who was in politics since 1972. And fast forward to this day, he's a friend of mine. Um, we might not always see eye to eye on what our political stance would be or where we want to take the direction of the community, but we respect each other to know that we care enough to try to lead the valley the best way we know how. Two, a year actually after serving in the commission, um, I was approached by some individuals in Rio Riba County who asked if I would consider running for Senate. And so Senator Martinez had been in the seat for 20 years. Um, we talked about it very early on. I was just a year into commission and I told them I'm not too sure if I'm ready. I'm still learning the ropes of being a commissioner. However, those people did say, Leo, you've made some change and you've done things. You're, you're ready, think about it. Well, here's the issue. 
Our state Senate and House doesn't pay its members. It's a volunteer position that pays some per diem. Uh, if you look at per diem and the cost of trying to stay in Santa Fe during session, it doesn't equal enough to keep you in Santa Fe. And I knew if I did leave without pay at the laboratory, I'd have to pay the lab back. I think it was $1,500 a month to keep my benefits, wow. my dental health and vision, um, with no money coming in, right? So right. I really had to think about that. So at the time that those people asked, I couldn't afford running for office. Um, here's the, I, I'm all about energy, Sam, and about how we're connected. And so that was about early spring that that conversation happened. It then is December of that same year, and I'm at a dentist appointment in El Rito where my best friend is the dental hygienist. So I used to do my dental appointments in El Rito to have time to spend with her. Um, even if it was just 30 minutes of having my teeth cleaned, she'd do the talking, I'd do the listening, but it was my best friend since I've been five years old. What's her name? Her name is Melissa Savias, now Melissa Gonzalez. She married my cousin. And so she's, she's family. We've known each other since we were five and we've been through so much. We've, we're best friends to this day. We text every single day. But the dentist appointment ended early and it was the same time as the county's Christmas party. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not gonna go show up at the Rural Events Culture Center. The employees who are decorating will then feel they have to be on their very best behavior. And I'm gonna take the fun away from that. So what I decided to do is to go to the local cemetery in El Rito. That's where my father's family is from. The Jaramillo and Cisneros side is from El Rito and Vallecitos, which are small communities north of Española. Never had been to the graveyard and decided I would take a trip and visit the graveyard and see if I saw tombstones with last names of Jaramillo or Cisneros. And so it's a beautiful December day. It's warm, uh, blue sky. I typically don't get cell service in El Rito. But as I'm at one of the tombstones and I'm looking out towards the Sangre de Cristos, my phone rings. And I answer the phone and it's the Santa Fe New Mexican. And the reporter says, Commissioner, we understand that the governor is going to ask the senator to resign uh, because of the recent incident he's been in. Will you accept the appointment? We're hearing she's going to appoint you as the senator. I said I would gladly take the roles and responsibility of senator on. They then asked, will you run for that Senate position if you're appointed, and even if you're not appointed because the senator doesn't resign, will you challenge him? And remember, I'm looking at the Sangre de Cristos. I'm on ancestral land. Um, I think about energy and connection, and I told him I'm 90% sure I will run for that Senate seat. So when I hung up the phone, I remember extending my arms towards the east where those mountains were, and out loud I said, in Spanish, ancianos, I have heard you loud and clear. I don't get a cell signal here. I have that call, I'm here with you, I'm gonna run. But if I run, I need you to help me in the spiritual realm. You need to get a campaign team on the other side that's gonna make sure that we run and we win. I made a phone call to those individuals who asked if I would run. I told them I would figure out my finances and I'd be in the race. Wow. 
and so it happened. And, you know, and then everything just fell into place after meeting with my leadership team at Los Alamos National Laboratory, uh, both the Associate Laboratory Director for Facilities and Operations and the Chief Operations Officer agreed that I could then run for office and, and I could be flexible with my time. And here's the best part, Sam. Then they come back two weeks later and said, we've contacted human resources. And they said, when you win, not if you win, when you win, can you work 20 hours a week for Los Alamos? Whether it's five hours a day, two hours a day, as long as within seven days you can get your 20 hours in. I said I could make that work, which was perfect because by then, working 20 hours a week, they were able to provide my benefits that I wouldn't have to pay back the laboratory. And it's still part of my income coming in. Everything perfectly fell into place. And the dream of the fourth grade student who said he would lead his valley was a reality when I became a commissioner and became more of a reality to represent northern New Mexico when I won that Senate race, which happened to be on my birthday <laughs> that year that I won the Senate race. That's a beautiful story. It really feels like you were completely guided 100% spiritually from, as you said, from that fourth grade student who said, I'm going to do this, to that moment when you're standing in the cemetery. Yep. That's incredible. Isn't that amazing? That, that really is amazing. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I do remember you telling me previously um, how you are all about energy and you feel that energy. And, and I'd like to know a little bit then, um, talking about still being in the same home that you were brought home to, the same home that has been in your family for a long time. Tell me a little bit about the energy there and what you get from being still in that home. You know, even anywhere in New Mexico that I know there's a historical place, right? I, I make sure that I place my hands on the exposed adobe and I, I ask that I take from those ancestors who have been there um, and to know that I'm representing them. But in my home, it's just, I feel love there, right? It's a place where I was raised until I left for college. And then when I came back, my mom had remarried because my dad died of cancer and moved to White Rock. So that home is where I came back to, and it's just the energy is an energy of love and protection. It's a place that I feel safe. It's, um, it's just, it's a special place to me, not only because it's a family home, but because everyone who's around me are generations of New Mexicans who have lived in that valley, and it's generations of family who have taken care of each other all these years. So my neighbors, the neighbors right across my street, my dad was their babysitter when they were young. Um, the neighbors across the field from me are kids that I played uh, baseball with in that empty field. And it's just generations of people who take care of each other, so it's a safe, loving place for me. Wow. So I know that part of your your being led into a place of service was the community that your family, uh, that idea of community and taking care of community that your family had talked about. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So my great-grandfather was a county commissioner, and so he always was interested in helping people, and so was my great-grandmother on both sides. And so I think that what happens is when you have elders who are teaching you that you should take care of community it's not something you feel you have to do it's just part of your DNA mm -hmm. and so just being able to lead and help people is not something that 
was expected. It's just something we did because that was passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. Right. You look at my brother who serves on a board. He's a hemophiliac. He's a president of a board who goes around the country to teach other hemophiliacs who are in elementary how to administer their own medication. Right. Um, you look at my sisters who organize and help contribute to giving programs at the laboratory who are ensuring that there's gifts under trees for every kid who's out there. And you look at my mom who was a school cook who would make sure that she knew students who wouldn't have food after that lunch meal, would ensure that they had a little extra on their tray so that they were full when they went home. And so just everyone in my family gives and wants to be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing to me. So talking about helping people, you know, we've got these large spectrums of what that means for somebody. And like for your brother, then going around teaching these kids this very life-saving and life-giving uh, you know, skill, yeah. and for your mother, it was literally putting foods in bellies, yeah. you know, um, and so, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, helping is, is all over the place, so what does that look like for you, whether it's in your legislative role or outside of that just every day? So, okay, so, so many people think the only role of the senator is helping to create policy, right? Mm -hmm passing bills that will protect New Mexicans or for the best interest of New Mexicans. Now that's part of it, but I think because you and I have the same leadership style, right? We're empaths, mm -hmm. we really wanna care about the well-being of people, um, that I think that one of the largest portions of my leadership is being a servitude leader. So I go out in the community weekly and help with anything from uh, distributing food boxes to those in need or playing Mother Ginger mm -hmm. with Nutcracker on that the Hill. That was so great. You were fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so it's any way that I can connect with community because I think that by just even doing something as simple as dancing with students with uh, NDI, which is the National Dance Institute, they get to ask questions about what does a senator do? Or I get to hear from the perspective of a fifth grader, what are your needs and how can I help you, right? And so... I think that my leadership style is being with my constituents, um, whether it's through play or through service, and truly making connections mm -hmm. and knowing what's important to them, and for them to feel important knowing that somebody is taking time to listen and be with them. Okay. Wow. And just talking about those, those students a little bit, um, the first time that I met you, you told the story of how you ended up going to college. And yeah. I would really love it if you would talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. But before I go there, I want to tell you about one of the NDI students. These are, um, they're actually fourth grade students. And it's for the most part the first time they've been exposed to dance and live music, right? They okay. play with a, a pianist who's playing and chore a choreographer comes in and teaches them once a week. And so I threw a pizza party for the kids of Sombrio Elementary, which is in Española on the Santa Fe County part. And these students, one little girl, so remember it's fourth grade, in fourth grade I said I'd be a senator. She said, Senator, I'm going to be the senator someday. And I told her, yes you are. You're definitely going to be the senator one day and I'm going to vote for you. And I said, what makes you want to be the senator? She repeated what I said. I want to help people one day. But then she ended with, and I'm going to make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> and so then it was a perfect time to give them a lesson that 
sometimes being a leader doesn't mean you get compensated. You get paid in other ways, right? right? And so we have the conversation about this being a volunteer position, and I do it because I love the community, uh, to let them know that it doesn't mean that you need to make a lot of money to be a leader. You can just do it because you love community. Believe it or not, these kids, most of them raised in poverty, searched their backpack on what they could give me because they knew I wasn't making money. So they scrambled for toys that were in a backpack. They scrambled for origami that they made. And I remember one kid emptied out his entire backpack to find the $1 he had to give me that dollar bill because they appreciated that, right? And and that's that whole sense of community still thinks of you as family. Yeah. That this generation, those fourth graders, understand the importance of taking care of each other, that they wanted to give me what they had, even if it was their last dollar. So I, I accepted them, but at the very end, with that dollar, I said the best thing about being senator is I then can do something and give a gift back, right? Because I don't want to take away his dollar. I told him how much I appreciated it, and I gave him the dollar back as the senator for somebody giving a dollar back to a student who cared so much. And he took that dollar back, but um, those kids were so excited to give what they could. Yeah. And I've seen that a lot in northern New Mexico. People will give what they can. And that's what makes this place beautiful. You know, the, what really struck me about that story that you just tell is the fact that you did accept it. Because I think that so often we think, you know, oh, I, I can't accept that because it's from a child. But for him, like you said, it meant so much for yes. him to give you. And that was such a gift to him for you to accept it, even if you turned around. And then, again, as the senator returned it back to him, it, it was sort of like his, like, you gave me an investment. And yes. I'm giving you back part of what you gave me, you know, yes. I think that that's such a great gift that you can give oh them, just, just to accept the gift that they gave you, yes. you know, without dismissing it as, oh, that's yeah. only a dollar, or oh. you're a child, oh you don't need that, yes. and, you know, that's, that's, that's lovely, thank you. I, I need them too. <laughs> oh, and, and, you know, these tears coming down my face are not of sadness, but of how proud northern New Mexico makes me feel, right, um, I think the beauty of northern New Mexico is more than just our landscape, but our people and our culture, right? And yeah. how we take care of each other. But sure, I'll tell you that story. Um, in 1994, my best friend, Melissa Savias Gonzalez, mm -hmm. her mother called my mom. I was gifted a car by an aunt in Denver, who's my godmother. And so this is the summer, summer of our junior year. And Melissa's mom, Marquita, calls and asks my mom, if I give Leo money for gas and lunch, can he drive Melissa to an interview at Los Alamos National Laboratory tour? My mom said, sure. I picked up Melissa. We drove up to Los Alamos, and the group she was interviewing with was quality and planning at the time. And after about 30 minutes of waiting for her in the parking lot, I see the side door of the building open, and Melissa's waving me to come in. And I thought, I don't want to go in, right? I'm wearing some old shorts. I'm wearing an old T-shirt. Remember, I didn't buy new clothes all the time because there wasn't uh, money for that, and they might even have been cut off uh, jeans that I was wearing as shorts. But she keeps calling me in, and I refuse to go in, right? Because there's this sense of the laboratory is a secret place when we grew up. You just don't walk in looking unprofessional. And so she comes to the car door and says, Leo, um, I was offered the job by this group, but I've been offered two other jobs at the lab, and I'm going to take the one in the Ottawa because that's where the majority of students are. 
So these people asked if I had a friend who was a lot like me that they could interview, and I said, he's waiting in the car for me. They then called me in, I walk in, they interview me, and I get the job on the spot. Which was amazing because I had submitted the same um, application she did. It's just my grades were average, right? I worked to help provide. So I didn't have the grades she possibly had, but they took a chance on me. Fast forward through that year of a high school co-op, it's almost time for graduation. And so um, no members of my family had earned a college degree. And so I it's here that I have to admit that embarrassingly, I got a phone call. Because of the way that I have this set up at the time, the phone call caused the interview to get cut off. It caused the recording to stop. I apologize about this gap in the interview. I hope that you will continue to listen. Here's the rest. Also another manager uh, talked to me about the importance of education and told me, Leo, we're not gonna hire you, but we're gonna help you fill out a college application to the University of New Mexico. I told them I'm not going to college, it's not what I want to do. And both of them told me education would be the key to my success. And so in the center of that table was a polycom where you could do conference calls and they said waiting on the other side is your mom. We haven't called her yet, but if we can't answer questions like social security numbers or tax information, we're going to call her so we can fill that out in the application. I was so mad. Right, because now my fam my parents knew right. about this and didn't tell me. We filled out the application, and then I said, Joe, I don't have the $50 to submit this application. Joe said, Leo, I have a money order in the amount of $50 paid out to UNM, and we're going to go together and we're going to drop off this college application. We filled out the application. We put that $50 money order in. We put it in an envelope, and they drove me to the post office. And together when we walked to that mill slot to drop off the application, they reminded me that education would be the key to my success. And so we dropped that application in, um, of course got accepted and earned a degree. And every time I see those men, I remind them what that meant to me. I remind them of what they did for me and how they invested their time and energy. When I ran for Senate, I told them I was standing there as a candidate for Senate because they believed. And so if we could get a community of people who believed and who wanted to help and be part of the solution, we could move so many mountains, right? Yeah. And so those men mean a lot to me. Um, the laboratory has done a lot for me in that sense, right? They uh, nurtured me when they mentored me as a student, and now they're so flexible with me as a senator to be able to serve the people of New Mexico and still keep helping with the mission of the laboratory. So what did you earn your degree in? So my degree is in mass communication and journalism. I then became a news writer, producer for KRQE News 13 in Albuquerque. And then during that time, I was approached by a school principal in Belen who was looking for somebody to teach his broadcast journalism class. They had just uh, got a grant for a full news studio with digital equipment. And it was a program then called the 2 plus 1 program. So if you had a degree in anything, you would invest two years in a graduate program, and you'd get your master's degree. The plus 1 was then meant you also got your teaching license. So I left the newsroom for the classroom. 
uh, taught in Berlin, and first year we were the national champions in broadcast journalism. Oh my God! Wow. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from uh, from being a teacher? Do you think the teachers deserve so much more respect than they get? Right. <laughs> yes. What I learned is that teachers are investing in the future of New Mexico, and what I learned is that teachers give everything that they have, not only time and energy, but whatever little money they have left over to invest in their students. And so I learned that teaching is a profession I wish everybody could experience. And I think most people did during the pandemic with their kids at home, but uh, teachers do so much, not only for the health and well-being of our students, but for the future of New Mexico. And it's, that's an amazing thing. Our, um, our this just past uh, leadership session that we had was over education. And it was incredibly eye-opening for many of us. And that is one of the biggest statements that we came away with was that teachers deserve a lot more credit and a lot more respect than, than they're given. Um, so how do you think we can show them more support? Well, I think the one major thing that happened this past year is I was proud to co-sponsor the bill on increasing the salary of educators in New Mexico. Um, the governor's now laid out a plan on how we then can pay, pay for health care premiums for teachers. Mm-hmm. That's a big weight off of them. But, you know, I think that community members should go into the classroom and volunteer. And so what I do is I walk into uh, Española or the James H. Rodriguez Elementary, and I read to kindergartners, right? Okay. I go in with snacks, we laugh, and we talk for a while, and then I read a book. So if anyone just wants to volunteer in the classroom or volunteer in coaching, I think any time that you can invest time with students helps teachers, right? Because it truly does take a village to to help out in any way that we can. I think it's, it's really cool, though, too, that you ended up, you, you know, when you were coming to the end of your high school career and you hadn't planned on going to college, but both of your parents worked in the school system, yeah. you, you know, even if it wasn't as an educator, per se. You know, um, I, I'm sure that both of your parents had that strong desire for you to follow into education. Oh, they were so excited. <laughs> you know, I, I told you my dad was a custodian, and he cleaned, uh, he was a custodian at a Northern New Mexico College. Mm-hmm. And I remember he'd come home, and this was before dry erase boards, he said he was... He'd wait to erase the chalkboard because he felt bad doing it, oh. right? He felt bad that the amount of time that the professor put into uh, writing those notes or solving equations on a board took and how much time students took in helping on um, preparing those notes or, or writing what they wanted to write. He saved that for the very end. So when I first won as senator, I was invited back to the college to uh, present and, and give a speech. And I remember I talked about my dad's story and then talked about how proud he would know that not only was I presenting at the college, but that I stood there on those college grounds, the son of a custodian and a school cook who was representing not only the Española Valley, but northern New Mexico as a state senator. And I'm sure he was beaming with pride from up above that not only the time and energy he he and my mom invested in us and all that love and support they gave truly paid off that now I can give that back to the community as an elected official. Just from the little bit that we've heard about your parents this morning, I just, I really want to hear a little bit more about them. They sound like really beautiful people. 
And so I'd, I'd love to hear you tell me a little bit more about your mom and dad. Uh, loving, accepting people who would do anything they could to make sure that you had what you, you needed. And so hardworking individuals who were raised by parents that instilled in them strong work ethics. And so, you know, we might have not had much, but that didn't mean that they wouldn't pack up a small picnic and take us for a drive to the local stream and and we'd play. They were just amazing, supportive parents who were always willing to love, listen, and help. And so I think every kid needs that growing up, right? You need to be able to just cry when you need to cry and have parents who will hold you and say it's okay. Um, I remember in kindergarten, I wanted to wear a strawberry shortcake necklace. And so I'm the only gay senator left. There's, there's three of us in the LGBTQ plus community, but I'm the only gay senator. And I've told uh, students the story of, I remember that my dad put on that strawberry shortcake necklace I wanted to wear to kindergarten. And I remember he said, if the kids try to take it off, tell the teacher. And now that I'm adult, I know what he was saying. If I was being picked on, tell the teacher. So allowed to be who I was, was accepted and loved by my parents. And, and that's how they are with the, the whole community, right? Yeah. Accepting and loving. And I think that's why the Jaramillo kids, my siblings and I, are so loving and giving because we had that solid foundation by parents who were so amazing. Like you said, it's just in your DNA. Oh my God, it is. Wow. And so um, then opening up a little bit about your personal life, do you feel like you're a leader in that space, in the LGBTQ space? I think that representation matters. And it's nice to hear uh, younger students who come and visit the Roundhouse who are members of the LGBTQ plus community say, you know, because you're in this position, I think I can be in this position. And to be able to share life experiences firsthand when bills that could affect the LGBTQ plus community come on, that's, that's important to have that voice and a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. And I might not be able to represent everyone's views in this community, but to be able to share my lived experiences and to be able to uh, educate uh, other lawmakers about what it means to be in the community and any misconceptions they might have to be able to help educate them on those. And that's important. It is important. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, so did you have a hard time growing up in that, in that space, um, whether in the Valley or whenever you, you know, began getting into the government space? Do you want to know that I've always been truly accepted who, for who I am in the Valley? Um, it's even nice that when I coached the cheer team, right? Yeah. The cheer team I coached never placed below. We placed fourth once, but never below a fourth place. And so I think that respect in the community that you'll see machismo men in Española who don't only give me a handshake, but will embrace me. And I think that I grew up just accepted for who I am. And I think that that comes for the fact that it's respect because of how much we've always given back to the community and time and energy. It's never been an issue in my community. It's never been an issue in Los Alamos with my employer. Um, I've never run into major issues. Of course, you'll, you'll run into some people, right. but collectively, I've never had any issue. I, um, again, another leadership uh, session that we had not long ago was the youth session and that was a huge topic that we talked about was uh, children, not children necessarily, youth I'll say because children makes them sound a little bit younger and less mature knowing I feel like but to say that you know youth coming into now middle school and high school and trying to gain acceptance 
from not only parents, but from teachers and from other adults in the community. And I really learned myself, especially from that session, how much we don't give kids enough credit for knowing yes. who they are yes. and for not giving kids enough credit for knowing what they need from others. Um, and so it sounds like, though, that you still, that you got all of that support. Yes, and you know, there's an amazing uh, White Rock resident you need to meet, and that's Kira Brown. She went after her gold patch, or the gold patch for Girl Scouts. So she's aging out. Gold patch means you take on a project and you see it through and it has impact in your community. Now, Kira is part of the LGBTQ plus community and asked if I would mentor her on this project. She did all the work with, she didn't need much mentoring. What she did is she did a series of videos on LGBTQ plus issues to educate not only her peers, but to educate anyone in the county who wants to find out more. She interviewed those of us in the community on topics that she came up with. Um, I believe those videos are at the library for anyone to check out. Uh, the county council celebrated Kira and her accomplishments by giving her the Pride Week proclamation this past year. And she's a young trailblazer who's helping the community understand more, right? When it comes to pronouns or when it comes to different issues within the community. So I think that students are finding their voice mm -hmm. and are definitely educating everyone about what means the most to them. That's so great. I'd love to see now that youth are really taking the charge in, in a lot of these issues. And I, you know, I, I'm 33, you know, I'm not, you know, old by any means, but I don't feel like I quite fit into the youth category anymore either. And so um, I feel like I'm learning and I'm getting encouragement and, and also some strength to say, okay, I need to stand up too. And I need to, you know, find what's important to me because you see all these, you know, high schoolers or, or, you know, young adults and they're taking these stands and they're, they're going forth and they're making these real changes. And, and it's not because they want to be someone who's making a change, but it's because they're, they care about it and it's important to them. And they're saying, this isn't right. Or this is, you know, or, or, you know, it, it, like Kira did as far as just educating. And I think that education, formal education, just having, communicating with one another, that goes so much farther than, than, than we can imagine. Absolutely. It goes such a far. Representative Susan Hedera, who's a very good friend of mine who lives in Dixon, our, our districts overlap. And I remember she told me my first year as senator, remember, Senator, there's two things people can't take away from you. That's your vote and your voice. Make them count. And I thought, wow, that's amazing, right? That she's absolutely right. So when I when I vote, it's for the best interest or what I believe the best interest is for Northern New Mexico. And when I speak on that Senate floor on behalf of Northern New Mexicans, Los Salamos, Espanola, and Chama, and every community in my district, my voice, they can't take it away. And my voice is reflected from the stories I've heard from people and stories I can share and what we need your voice definitely can't be taken away, so I hope, Sam, that you continue to stand up and speak up. Thank you so much, Senator. I hope that I do, too. I hope I continue to find that strength, and I, I do get that encouragement whenever I look around, especially at these kids. So oh, I know you will. That's fantastic. So I know that we all have this idea, and and we're coming towards the end of our time, but you know, I know that we all have this idea sort of of 
what the life of maybe a senator might look like. So can you tell me just a little bit about your day-to-day? So I'm sure that all of our day-to-days are different, so I'll give you the day in the life of Senator Leo Hunt. Okay, okay, that's perfect. So I typically wake up at 2 a.m. Holy moly. And so that's what <laughs> my mind's racing. So what I do at 2 a.m. is then I read the New Mexican, the New Mexican online. And after I read the New Mexican, I sometimes see any type, believe it or not, a number of constituents reach out to me via Facebook Messenger. Uh, I had one today about uh, there was a young man, Cypress, who was murdered at the local Lotteburger, and how they would like a Senate memorial for him. And so I was able to respond. So any type of, of small inquiries or questions people have, I either answer them or I put them on my radar. I meditate, fall back to sleep, and I'm up again at 4 a.m. Before I lay in bed for about 30 minutes and, and typically meditate again before I get my day started, right, I start off with, a, with gratitude and thanksgiving for all that I have and all that I'm going to do. And I work then on Senate email from 4.30 a.m. until 6 a.m. My partner then gets up and makes coffee. We have coffee until... 6.30, and then I shower and get ready, and I come to work. I'm at work by 7.30. During lunch, I do constituent callbacks from anybody who's left voicemails from that morning, if I can get to them. And then on the drive back, I do more constituent callbacks, or when I get home, I participate in Zooms no later than 6.30 p.m., because then I do uh, quality time with my partner. If it's dinner, if it's taking a walk, if it's talking about our day or what we run into, I stop at 6.30 and then kind of wind down and then get ready for bed and it's time to wake up at 2, read the paper and start all over again. Wow. What do you do for you? So I've started, believe it or not, oh my gosh, I have to tell you the story and I know we're running out of time. So I I helped with the torch run here in in Los Alamos Mm -hmm. with Special Olympians and law enforcement and a young Special Olympian asked, uh, Senator, will you run with us today? I thought, oh my God, I can't run. <laughs> right? I'm so out of shape. And so I told him, I lied. And I said, well, I didn't lie. It was the truth. I said, I don't have my tennis shoes. I left out the fact that there was no way I would be here. Right. <laughs> and so he then asked, do you promise to run with me next year? And I made a promise to him. And so now what I do is at least 30 to 60 minutes of walking and working out. And it clears my mind. So I'm down 40 pounds. I oh. jogged two miles. So I'm ready to join those Olympians when we jog in Los Alamos. So I hope all of you come out this coming year to support not only our local law enforcement and their initiative to raise money to Special Olympics, but to cheer on and support our Special Olympians because they do an amazing job representing Los Alamos County and every county throughout northern New Mexico. I hope that all of you can join us either as running alongside us or lining the streets to cheer them on as they head to Albuquerque to compete. I love how you just, that promise meant so much to you, and that's going to mean so much to him next year, whenever or this year, whenever you run with him. And he's changed my life, right? I'm healthier. Uh, I feel better. Um, that time in the gym is a time for me to just clear my mind and have time by myself, right? It's just time for me to disconnect from any type of email or any type of phone call. It's just me and my music in the gym. That's, that I myself go three times a week and I look forward to it so much and I can tell a big difference in my mental health whenever I oh, do not yeah. go. 
Um, and so just a last question for you. Um, Robin Roberts is one of my personal heroes. I adore her. And, um, and through her story and through learning more about her family, her parents and, and such, um, you know, her mother always says, make your mess your message. And so I really want to know what your message is and what you've taken from your life that you carry forth in your work every day. You're going to see that every time on Facebook or most of the time on my Senate page, I have a hashtag which reads Stronger Together. And I truly believe that all of us need to come together to make change. We can't just rely on an elected official to change something overnight. And we can't just rely on educators to change something in one semester. It takes all of us playing a role to become stronger together. So here's what I'm going to leave you with. You can choose to be part of the problem or you can choose to be part of the solution. And you leave it at that rate. So are you going to be part of that problem or what are you going to do to make change and be part of the solution? So you can choose to be part of the problem or you can choose to be part of the solution. I think that's a great way to leave it. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day, obviously, that starts at 2 a.m. this morning, <laughs> to come and just to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate the chamber. I appreciate Leadership Los Alamos. And I'm ready to continue teaming with you and helping find other solutions to areas or problems that we, we address. That's perfect. Thank you so much. You're That's going to do it for us today, but I encourage you to share this episode with your friends and to tune in next week when we hear from another leader in Los Alamos, Ryan Ramaker. We'll see you next time.